All right, folks, it's uh, time for us to get started. Welcome to those of you that are joining us on one of our streaming platforms or you're watching this later. Uh, welcome to Fall Equip. Uh, this is, I think, our fourth session of Equip this fall. And uh, we're um, in a series called Discovering How We Proclaim the Gospel for All, thinking about the different kinds of people that are going to come into our lives, different belief systems and worldviews and how we can be equipped to share the gospel with them. Uh, we're gonna look at a couple of different groups today as we kind of continue to branch out from uh, maybe people that we would see every day to people that we may see less often, which could be some of these, but um, I'll give you just a, a, a hint really quick. Uh, these two groups are more likely to knock on your door than anybody else. That's what we're gonna be talking about today. And I figure, hey, if they're going to come to your door, uh, then we need to be equipped to share the true gospel uh, with them. But before we do that, I want us to do a couple other things. You know, there are times that I feel like I, I need to address things that I don't always have the time to do on Sunday mornings. We're often pressed for time on Sunday mornings. Some things don't always rise to the level of, um, uh, of urgency that we have uh, on, on Sundays and um, and Wednesdays kind of gives me an opportunity to do that, particularly now that we, we live stream and we record. So if somebody were to ask me, hey, you know, what about this? Uh, I could always say, hey, go listen to the Wednesday night. And, and I addressed it at the beginning. I try not to do this so often. Um, and really what drives this is I, if, if people start asking me questions about things that are happening um, and I get more than one, I start getting regular questions about it. it. It tells me, okay, maybe this is something that people are reading about and are curious uh, about what's going on. And so um, I wanna just maybe take five minutes today and talk about something that's happening in the Southern Baptist Convention right now. And um, fortunately, I wasn't so sure what I was gonna be saying. I had planned to do this for the last week and uh, I wasn't so sure what I was gonna be saying today. But fortunately, there was some good developments yesterday. So I recognize some of you probably don't follow anything that's happening in the Southern Baptist Convention. I do recommend to you uh, and have on multiple occasions uh, that if you're on social media, maybe follow Baptist Press. Uh, that is actual journalists that work for the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, a guy named Jonathan Howe is the director of that. And does a great job of, of telling us what's going on across our convention what's happening with the IMB and the North American Mission Board and the North American Mission Board. They do a, they do a really great job. Um, he actually uh, reported today that uh, the cooperative program ended its fiscal year several million dollars ahead of what they had anticipated, which is great. In the midst of a global pandemic, Baptist churches gave more, including ours, gave more um, than, uh, than in previous years. And so that's great. That's great news. That means more missionaries on the field, more churches being planted. Uh, more opportunity for training at our six seminaries. Uh, but there has been some conflict in the Southern Baptist Convention over the last um, few weeks, and so much so that it made it past Baptist press, it made it into secular media, it cer certainly made it into other Christian outlets like Christianity Today, um, and even made it into some uh, secular outlets. And when Baptists find their names uh, at, at the, um, you know, as the headline of secular articles, it's, uh, it's always pause a moment for concern, right? And we would kind of rather them not write about us because they often get it wrong. Um, and, and sometimes it's because we've not done things the way that we should have. So let me, let me take you back uh, to the Southern Baptist Convention in June. So for those of you that are, are not Southern Baptists, maybe you're just here, you come on Wednesday nights or you don't understand. Southern Baptist is weird in, denom in, in American denominational life in that we are not a denomination. We are a convention of churches, um, 45,000, 47,000, I think now. Southern Baptist churches exist in North America. Um, and the convention only exists for 48 hours every year. Last year, it didn't exist at all. Um, and in June of every year, except for last year, for the first time since World War II, uh, the convention didn't meet. And the convention meets and we um, elect officers, we appoint trustees, we adopt some non-binding resolutions and we go home. It's what we do. Um, well, one of the motions that was passed overwhelmingly in the, in, at the Southern Baptist Convention uh, was to ask our new president, Ed Litton, who is the, who's a pastor in Mobile, Alabama, to appoint a task force 
to investigate some things that had happened uh, over the last number of years at what is known as the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee. The Executive Committee is in Nashville. They, the, the Executive Committee acts in interim, meaning when the Southern Baptist Convention is not in session, they act in our place, right? So for the other 363 days of the year, they kind of make some decisions and do some things. They have no business telling, they don't tell churches what to do. They don't usually do anything outside of what the convention in those two days has instructed them to do. And the convention voted, um, I was very much in favor of, um, and so were most of the other 15,000 messengers in Nashville in June. Uh, voted to have our new president uh, appoint a task force to study uh, how the executive committee had, or to investigate how the executive committee had responded to sexual abuse accusations within the Southern Baptist Convention. This is something that I've talked about before um, when, all, when uh, the Houston Chronicle uh, released several articles uh, talking about um, sex abuse scandals within Southern Baptist churches. And uh, there is some information that was uh, made known back in the summer that maybe our executive committee in the place of the Southern Baptist Convention was not handling all of these accusations in the right way. Uh, maybe was, and I say maybe because we don't know, but maybe they weren't. Maybe everything that should have been done wasn't being done. And so the motion was that a task force would be formed and funded that would, that would investigate this thing. And the motion directly called for the executive committee to waive attorney-client privilege, meaning that they were going to open the books to this task force uh, and uh, the company that they hired called Guidepost to investigate these things. Then the executive committee met starting three weeks ago and voted not to do it when we had specifically instructed them to do it. So it had been the first time that a entity of the Southern Baptist Convention had decided not to do what the convention had told them to do. It's going to be a big issue. Then they met again last week and voted again. It was a lot closer. It was only separated by three votes, but they voted again not to do it and voted instead to continue to study other ways that they could do this investigation without doing specifically what the messengers has instructed them to do. This was causing a uh, crisis of polity within the Southern Baptist Convention. So I got asked by multiple people last week and people on Sunday mornings and people even up to yesterday what I thought about this. And I'll just be frank with you. Uh, it, it was going to be a really, really big deal uh, if they got a third strike because they were meeting again yesterday. And uh, to their credit, even though there are some that still said, no, we don't want to do it this way, uh, the majority of the executive committee voted yesterday uh, to, to uh, waive attorney-client privilege, to sign the contract, fully fund the task force, to fully fund the contract with Guidepost uh, to, uh, to do this investigation. So I, I tell you that to say, if you've read articles in the last two weeks, like there's infighting with the Southern Baptist Convention, they're, they're the executive committee, maybe you just didn't know what those things were, and I wanted to explain it to you really quickly um, to kind of give you some of the backstory. But more importantly, I wanted to celebrate that they did the right thing. You know, somebody said, I, I think it was Ed Stetzer, longtime Southern Baptist, used to work for Lifeway, that said um, something to the effect of, Southern Baptists will always do the right thing after we've tried all of the wrong ways to do something, okay? And um, that's kind of what the executive committee did over the last three weeks is they tried a bunch of wrong ways of doing something and finally settled yesterday uh, afternoon on let's just do what the convention told us very clearly to do. So I celebrate that and if you were kind of lay, if you saw some of that news or saw some information on that, the good news is they're doing that and, and, and I would fully support them doing that. And then I would call us to pray for it. It, it, it could be, again, we don't know. This investigation is gonna go back over 20 years. The motion made at the Southern Baptist Convention was that they would investigate everything from the year 2000 up until June of 20, uh, 2021. I, so this is, this is a 20-year, they're going to open the books and look at a lot of things. Um, here's what we need to pray. We need to pray that they will do, they will continue to do what now that committee has voted to do, the trustees of that committee have voted to do, and that they'll open the books and that the Lord will shine light in places that if there is darkness to be found, that we will be fine with that. 
My prayer is that they're going to do all of this and we're going to spend, are you ready? This is what it costs. I mean, it's a big deal. It's going to cost $1.6 million to do this. That's what the contract's worth. And some people said, well, that's just a lot of money. Well, what's the truth worth to you? Well, apparently $1.6 million. Um, I pray we spend $1.6 million and, and find out that they were doing things right all along. If they weren't, then we were going to have to deal with it, right? Um, the good news is the way that our, our systems are structured, the International Mission Board is its own entity. The North American Mission Board is its own entity. Our six seminaries are their own entity. Lifeway is its own entity. And these things are disconnected intentionally in such a way that if something were to happen in one of them, it's not going to affect the other ones, okay? So there's good news in that. We, we rejoice in the fact that if there was, if, if darkness needs to come to light, that it will. And if there was no darkness, then praise God that we were doing the right thing all along. But I wanted to be able to address that and call you to pray for that. Pray for our, our Southern Baptist leaders who are in Nashville. There are some people that have really been working hard to get the right thing done in this, in this way. And, and I appreciate some really difficult work and there's probably going to be some difficult days ahead, right? So, um, in the spring, Part of the motion, this is the last thing I'll say about it, part of the motion that we passed in June was that um, a full unredacted, and you will not see this in, I don't believe, any other denomination that has dealt with sex abuse in their denomination. That guidepost and, and the sex abuse task force that was appointed by our, our, our SBC president will present a month before the Southern Baptist Convention meets next, next summer, will present a unredacted, unedited report. Meaning if there is dirty laundry to air, it will be aired in full and no one will be able to stop it at this point. Not lawyers, not anybody else. That, and that scares some people. And so we'll just see. So we'll, it, it could be that we get to April and May and we start finding out some things that we don't want to find out. Hopefully we will not. So we'll pray to that end. Uh, but I, I had enough questions about that that I feel like I needed to explain to people what was going on. If you didn't know any of that was going on, it's all right. <laughs> so far, so, so far, so good. And uh, our missionaries are still on the field and we're still planting churches. We're still training seminary, uh, you know, seminarians and, and that's great. The other thing I want to mention before we get started is that our elders on Sunday called us to 14 days of prayer. If you didn't pick up one of these on Sunday, I would encourage you to pick up one of these on your way out. We had it back there by, your, by the uh, Wednesday night prayer guides. Uh, this is praying for our current adult discipleship and outreach uh, cert, pastor search. We are now on day three of this prayer, but you can you pick up. And my encouragement would be once you hit day 14 in 11 days, uh, just go back to day one and keep praying until we call this, uh, uh, who, whoever this man will be to come and be on our pastoral team to be here. Uh, our... Um, our uh, search advisory panel, who we told you about on Sunday morning, has started work. They started work on uh, Monday and are, and are going to be doing some of the initial sorting. And then the elders will be involved in the next phase. And we'll continue to work together until we have somebody to present to the congregation. But we want to pray for that. So I'd like to pray for both of those things uh, before we uh, get started here with the teaching. So let's pray together. Father, <clears throat> I, I thank you that you are the God of light that... Um, shines into every dark crevice of my personal life and, and that, that your uh, radiant holy light continues to shine, sh to shine on sin in my life and show me ways that I continue need to be sanctified and that it's true of every member sitting in this room and that is true of our congregation and that it's true of the people of God. It's not an easy process though. And so while that door has now been opened to, to do that within uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, we, we pray, God, that your will be done. And that if there are um, wrong actions that need to be exposed, that we would expose them and bring them into the light for the glory of God. But most importantly, God, we pray that we would be better for it, that we would respond better when moments of uh, sexual abuse uh, and allegations are made that we, we, would, we would respond well and right and we would support those uh, who have been victimized. I pray God for our search here at our church as we continue to look for another elder, a, a vocational pastor to serve in the role of adult discipleship and outreach in our church. Such a great need in our community, a great need in our church. 
Uh, and I pray, God, that uh, you would continue to guide us as we've been praying as a congregation today, that we would have no timetable but yours, that we would seek your perfect will and your perfect time, and that we would walk in that, trusting God that in your timing and according to your plan, you will lead us together congregationally to the right person to call into this job. You've done it before, and we trust that you'll do it again. So God, uh, would you begin to prepare that person's heart and to prepare ours to receive him, if he has a family, his family, uh, into this wonderful family of God here at Nansman River, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, folks. So I, I kind of teased you at the beginning. We were going to talk about two groups today that knock on your door. We're going to talk about Mormonism and the Jehovah's Witness today. Um, you may very well know, you probably do at least have some kind of exposure to uh, people who were Mormons or Jehovah's Witness uh, in your uh, in your life. They've, I guarantee you they've, they've knocked on your door. When Christy and I first got married, uh, we moved into a uh, little apartment. and the co- We were both still in college. We were young and silly, but we got married anyway. And um, 20 years ago next month, and uh, we moved into this little apartment together, uh, second floor kind of deal. And the, the uh, were we on the second? No, we were on the first floor. People above us, they were on the second floor. See, your memory starts to go, right? But it was two Mormon missionaries and they would park their bikes like right by our car, you know? And uh, they were Mormon missionaries, this little college town. We got to know these, these two guys, um, just kind of being their, being their neighbors, you know? They never kind of did their official visit. I don't know if it was one of those, you know, you don't do that right there where you live, you know, but they never, they never really knocked on the door, but we got to know uh, who they were. And it was probably the most exposure we had. And then when we lived in um, a small town in Georgia and our son was born, our oldest son was born, he had to stay home. He was born premature. And so he had to stay home like for a whole year, really couldn't get out a whole lot. So like we did the quarantine thing before quarantining was cool. Um, and uh, one day Jehovah's Witness knocked on our door and uh, my wife was like starved for relationship. I was still in seminary and like I was always gone and she was like starved for uh, relationships. And so she just started inviting these people in and come to find out that Jehovah's Witness were coming to our house like once a week to have coffee with Christian. But, and, you know, she was telling them about Jesus. She was like, well, as long as they're going to, you know, come, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. And it's given me somebody to talk to anyway. And so that's, uh, we've, we've had a couple of those kind of exposures in, in our time of uh, marriage. Maybe you have, maybe you've, you know, you know what, what they look like as they come up to you. Um, I find it interesting. This is an, a, a unique group and uh, there'll be another week that we're gonna talk about some other groups that I'm not really lumping in here um, specifically for, for, a, for a very specific reason. But, but these two groups are interesting because if you were to ask them, they would certainly say, yes, we are Christians. Um, but I, I want to make a definitive statement. They are not. Um, the thing that separates them from other groups of people in our world who would say they are Christians and we would say they're, they're not um, is twofold. One, these two groups claim ex- exclusivity. So as we go through some of these things, you'll, you're going to see both, both um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is the other name for Mormonism, uh, and Jehovah's Witness, uh, both claim exclusivity, meaning if you aren't a part of them, then you are not a Christian, right? So that is different than other Christian denominations. Baptists don't claim that about Methodists, right? Presbyterians don't claim that about Lutherans. That's not the way that we operate. We may say that we have second order differences, second tier denominational differences, but that we are Christians together. Um, Both LDS and Jehovah's Witness do not subscribe to that and claim exclusivity. And the, the, the doctrines that they claim to, to be exclusive to their faith are distinct from us to the point that they rise to those first tier, first level doctrines. And so we're going to go over what some of those things are. Um, now in a later week, I'm going to talk about some churches that also claim to be Christian that probably do have some, and I would say do have some Christians in them, but the teachings don't necessarily lead to Christianity. 
But that is not the case with Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness. Mormons and Jehovah's Witness diverge radically enough from Orthodox Christianity and in very specific places diverge to the point where it is not the same. So even though they would claim that name, um, it, it is, they, they would not fit within what the Bible says is uh, a, what makes someone a Christian. So let's start with Mormonism first. Let's just kind of give a brief history of this. Everybody knows, I mean, you know what Mormons are. You've experienced them. At least, if nothing else, you know they're the guys in white shirts and black ties riding around on bikes that you see every now and then. Um, but this is a very large movement. There are uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 16 million Mormons worldwide, um, which is an interesting number because that's very close to the number of Southern Baptists in North America. Um, uh, and so they obviously are smaller than a lot of other worldwide Christian denominations, um, but still 16 million people is very large. 16 million people, the majority of those, now most of those used to be in the United States. Right? And we think of Mormonism as being a, a Utah kind of out west issue. Um, but now there are more Mormons that live overseas than live in the United States. It is, it is rapidly grown in places like Latin America, Africa, and particularly in Asia. Uh, Mormonism has, has taken off in some, of those, in some of those places. Mormonism began in 1830. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints began in 1830. When a man named Joseph Smith, you're probably familiar with that name. He is the founder of, uh, of the movement translated or claimed to have, I would just say it like that, claimed to have translate uh, the Book of Mormon from gold plates given to him by the angel Moroni. So this is what Joseph Smith claimed, that uh, an angel appeared to him, having uh, claimed that um, a book was written on golden tablets in North America in the third century and that they were hidden and uh, that Joseph Smith was told where they were, uh, I think in 1823, he was told where they were, wasn't allowed to go and get them by the angel until 1828, and then went and found them. He hid them and read from them. As he read from them, someone else wrote down what he said, but he never allowed anyone else to see them, and they're now lost. The church doesn't, doesn't have them. Um, and so it's, a, it's kind of a fanciful story, right? But this created this movement. Uh, ultimately, uh, because of persecution, the uh, Mormon church moved uh, from the East Coast out to Missouri. And Missouri almost became kind of the Salt Lake City for them. Uh, but the people in Missouri didn't want them there either. And so they kept going and uh, ultimately settled out West. And the primary issue of persecution, at least the persecution that they claimed was early in the days of the, uh, of the LDS church, they embraced uh, plural marriage. They allowed men to marry, actually didn't allow, they encouraged men to marry more than one wife. And that is uh, very important. It was in that time, a very important part of their doctrine and salvation. They have since walked back from that, which has caused some splits within the LDS church. So now you have some fundamental small little groups primarily out West and in some Latin American places that still practice plural marriage based off of uh, the teachings of their, of their founder. They believe that the church of God, as we know it, became corrupted in the generations following the, um, following the apostles. So very quickly, like not within hundreds of years, but within decades that the church became corrupted and that God decided to restore that church through Joseph Smith. So they see themselves, this is why they make this exclusive claim, because they see themselves as the only church, the true church, um, that God restored through the teachings of Joseph Smith, even though they don't follow still modernly all of the teachings of Joseph Smith anymore. Um, but that, that's the exclusive claim they make. Here are just some basic beliefs that Mormons have. I think knowing, and this is why we're doing this, knowing what people believe it's very helpful for knowing how to engage them in conversation. So we're just going to take some first-tier doctrines. That's really what I'm doing here. Take some first-tier doctrines and show you how they differ from um, kind of orthodox Christianity. When, if you were to walk into most Christian churches, we would agree on, on these things. Um, that 
you're going to see where, where uh, Mormonism diverges. First is what they believe about God. Um, Mormons believe that God was once a man, which ma makes him finite, right? He is, they do not believe that God, is, that God is eternal, but that God, that we know him, like not Jesus, the man, because we certainly believe God was a man too, right? In the you know, word made flesh, but they, we're talking about God the Father here. They believe that God the Father was a man and actually lived in another world at another time. And because of his obedience there became God here in this world. And that this is the world that he created. And he is the father of this world, uh, that he has a physical body and that he has a wife. They call him heavenly father and they call her heavenly mother. Now there is no teaching actually in the book of Mormon about her, but she ends up being very important in their practice. It's one of the reasons they practice plural marriage was because for men to go to heaven and to one day actually be their own gods in their own universe, I mean, this is the ultimate conclusion of Mormonism, um, is that they needed to be married, that men don't go to heaven without a wife and wives don't go to heaven without a husband. Like you gotta have these people. So all of a sudden marriage becomes very, very important, right? And early in the church, early in the, the founding of this movement, the more wives you had, the better off you were as a man because that's just gonna be more people in your you know, celestial kingdom one day. And it's the, the phraseology that they would use. So obviously very different understanding of God, right? Not eternal, used to be a man and has a wife. Uh, as far as the Trinity goes, the Mormons do not believe in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They do believe in all three of those. They believe in Jesus, they believe in the Holy Spirit, they believe in the Father, but they see them all as three separate gods. So in a lot of ways, Mormonism is actually, um, they don't just believe in plural marriage, but plural gods, right? That, that, there is, um, that there are really multiple gods who have lived and will live and that they could have the opportunity to become one as well. As far as Jesus goes, they believe that Jesus is a separate God from the Father. He was, a cre he was created as spirit by the Father and the Mother, right? So the Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother in heaven and is the oldest brother of all of us. So basically he was the first of all of us that Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother are all of our spiritual mothers and fathers, but that Jesus was the first uh, his body was created through a sexual union between God, the Father, and Mary. And they believe that Jesus was married when on earth and his death on the cross does not pay for the sins of all people, but does provide everyone with the possibility to be resurrected. And that resurrection is what Jesus ensured on the cross, not salvation. And, and so you can see some very significant areas that, that Mormons are departing from uh, a traditional understanding of Christianity here in, in the way that they are thinking about Jesus. Um, because Jesus, Jesus is this uh, firstborn, not special in any way from us other than his physical body and that we would certainly uh, diverge from the idea that, that God had sexual union with Mary to create the physical body uh, of Jesus. And um, we would diverge in the, the nature of the work of Jesus on the cross. As far as the Bible goes, Mormons would say that they believe the Bible is God's word as long as it is translated correctly, which this means they only accept the, transla the translation uh, or the interpretation from Joseph Smith which in the Mormon Bible is kind of combined with the King James Bible. And so there's parts of it that was translated or interpreted by Joseph Smith and parts of it they just kind of left alone. Basically, he changed the parts that he needed to change to make it fit his narrative. But that the Bible is not the exclusive word of God, that there are other things that are on the same level of authority as the word of God, primarily the Book of Mormon. Uh, that's the one that you've all heard of. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of the Book of Mormon, but there are other uh, Mormon writings that are on the, in their minds on the same level as the Bible. Doctrines and Covenants is one of them. The Pearl of Great Price is another. And then other teachings of Jesus, or other teachings of Mormon prophets. And these are held at the same level as the Bible. Um, 
And, and so it's, it would be nothing for a Mormon to quote one thing from the Bible and then quote another thing from the Book of Mormon and then to quote another thing from a teaching of Joseph Smith and these things all be uh, of equal value to them. As far as salvation goes, they believe salvation is defined as being physically resurrection, resurrected and actually exalted to Godhood. That true salvation is in the afterlife is to become a God yourself in your own universe, your own celestial kingdom, your own world in which you will rule over. People are saved in the Mormon faith in their minds by trusting in Christ. We would say, well, that's good, but also doing good works. That Mormonism is very much a works-based salvation. That you, you earn the right not to be resurrected because everyone will be resurrected because Jesus bought that for you. But you earn the right to become a God later in your life by the things that you do in this life. Finally, the afterlife. Mormons believe that eventually nearly everyone or all people will be resurrected and nearly everyone goes to heaven. So the Mormon outlook for others is actually not all that bad unless you are uh, an apostate, someone who is a Mormon and turned away from it uh, or someone like a murderer, like really, really bad people go to a place that Mormons refer to as outer darkness outer darkness, utter separation from God, um, but that most souls will be resurrected, but not near, but only the Mormons, those who were faithful to the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints will be the ones who get to become their own gods in, in the afterlife. So if somebody says, well, Mormons are Christian too. Listen, folks, they're, they're just not, okay? It, that, that is we can disagree with other Christians on certain things. We can't disagree on what Jesus accomplished on the cross and on the nature of God, the Father, Christ, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We can't have other things rising to equal authority with Scripture and, and say that this leads to uh, biblical salvation. So then how do we share the gospel with somebody? like that? When, when these people come into your life, maybe you work with one of these people, if you do, here's what you probably know. Like some of the, these people in the main are some of the nicest people you'll probably ever meet. Remember, they're earning their salvation, right? And so there are some things, there are some similarities. And so what I would say with both of these groups, actually, and some of these points of sharing the gospel with Mormons, I'm, I'm going to just say when I, we get to Jehovah's Witness, it's kind of the same thing. Um, but the first place that you want to start is with some of these similarities, because there are some similarities, obviously, between Christianity and, and uh, Mormonism. There, there, are, there is some overlap. There are some, from a ethical standpoint, some, some commendable practices that they have. Now, they are dead wrong about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And if they do not repent of their sin and follow Christ, they will be eternally separated from him. So don't hear me say that that's not the case, but there are some similarities, and those similarities open doors for us in gospel conversation. So here's what some of the similarities are. They, they at least believe in God, right? So, so there is a foundation. It's not like you think of the people that we were talking about last week, the nuns, right? N-O-N-E-S for those that weren't here, not N-U-N-S. Um, and, and one of the subsect of the nuns is atheists, people that do not believe even though, remember I said nine out of 10 atheists said they don't, in America say they don't believe in God, which means one out of 10 atheists, super confused about what it means to be an atheist, um, right? So you, you really, you're really having to start at a whole different place with an atheist because an atheist doesn't believe in God at all. An agnostic doubts God, a I'm just nothing, really doesn't even think about it. Mormons are thinking about God all the time. And are affirming that there's a God. So you don't have to convince a Mormon that there's a God. There's a great place to start with that similarity. There is a desire, a clear desire within Mormons to do right, right? To do good works because it is what saves them. It is what's earning their place in their own celestial kingdom. They have a phenomenal commitment to family. And obviously a phenomenal commitment to sharing their faith. This is why we see them, you know, they... I forget what the statistic is. Uh, it's very high, the number of Mormons who commit themselves to, to the two-year mission. I mean, it's very, very high um, that do the two-year mission where they, you know, ride the bike and share, share Mormonism with people all around the world. So you have, you have some things that we're committed to. We're committed to 
the, the biblical understanding of family and that the family being the first institution of God and the family being the place where we make disciples and we're committed to the mission of God of our church to spread the gospel. And so we see that same kind of commitment just kind of in a twisted way with them. But these give us great places to start conversations with people. Then what you want to do is you want to show them clear distinctions between Mormon beliefs and biblical truths. So here's what I do. It's been a while since I think pastors kind of get labeled in these people's systems. They don't knock on my door anymore. But when, you know, in, in, in the past, when, when people like that would come and they would knock on the door and they'd say, can we share with you about, you know, the church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints, the same way, can we share with you about, you know, Jehovah? I would, I would say, sure. As long as everything you share with me, I get to share one thing with you. They really don't want to be in that conversation very long. Um, but this is a good place to start. What you, what you ultimately have to do, you can start in one of the, it's where some of those similarities are, but eventually you're going to have to show what the distinctions are, that there's some differences between Mormon belief and biblical truths, right? So one of them being the, the eternal existence of God. Like, let's just start there for a minute and say, so, okay, do, do you believe that God has eternally existed, that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end? They would say, well, no, God used to be a, a human on another planet and another, you know, time. And, and so, okay, well then how do we deal with something like Psalm 90 verse two that says before the mountains were brought forth or even you formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Everlasting to everlasting, you are God means that God has no beginning and no end. Listen, if God was at one point a human on another earth, that means he is not God in the biblical sense because the biblical framework for God is this all-powerful, all-knowing, almighty being that exists outside of the parameters that we know of time and space and matter. God is this completely other than being, which by the way, is what makes Jesus so unique right? Is God becomes flesh. But when we're thinking of God in spirit, he can't have started off as a man on another place. The Bible clearly affirms everlasting to everlasting, the eternal nature of God. We could also talk about the full deity and oneness of Jesus with God, that Jesus is not, I would say it like this, Jesus is not only different than the father because Jesus is different from the father. Trinitarian theology can sometimes be difficult to explain when I do Bible doctrines on Wednesday nights, which I hope at some point to get back to. Uh, I spend a whole week in, in our doctrine of God talking about the Trinity. And by the time we get done with that, everybody's just like, oh, I still don't understand it. And it's like, well, I don't think you're really supposed to other than God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit are not each other, but they are all God. And that's it's kind of the best way to, to, to describe what the Bible is describing to us. But, but Jesus is God. God is one. There's not more than one God. It's not that the Father is God and Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit is God. And they're these separate entities. James 2.19 says God is one. Right? And we're, we're told in John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And you go to John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So John is affirming something there in that first chapter about Jesus that to believe in uh, Mormonism, you, you would have to deny that God, that Jesus is the same as the father while still being his own distinct person within the Godhead, within the Trinity Having eternally existed with God, he was with God and was God, both at the same time. You notice that, that the word can be both with God and God at the same time. Why? Because this is something that only God can make happen. And we're talking about the nature of an eternal being, not something like ourselves. When we get in the conversation of salvation with a Mormon, it's important to emphasize that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, right? This is what Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not, the result, not a result of work so that no one may boast. 
it is utterly heartbreaking to watch people. At least it is for me. And so this may be why I come back to this often at, towards the end of a sermon, towards the end of my sermons. It's, it's, it's utterly heartbreaking for me to watch people attempt to earn their salvation. Because I know, I am, I am convinced and I, I'm firm footing on scripture that it is absolutely impossible. That, that there is no way on earth that someone can earn their own salvation. You will never be able to make yourself right with God. But this is what people outside of Christianity are all trying to do in one way or another. And it's what these twisted forms of Christianity so often do. And it's what Mormonism does. It teaches people that Jesus may have secured a portion for you, resurrection from the dead, but that Jesus didn't secure for you once and for all the salvation of your soul. And no matter how good you think you can be, and this is, this is the conversation to have, right? With someone who's trying to earn their salvation. Well, how good do you actually have to be? How good do you actually think you can be? Because let's just be honest, if, if I'm honest with you folks, if it's up to me, I know there is no way I can do it. Maybe you think of yourself in a higher light than, than I do, but I know for a fact, I, did, I can't do it. And if you're honest with yourself, you know for a fact that you can't. And if you're a student of the Bible at all, you also know you just can't. You'll never get there on your own. As Paul says, it is not a result of works. If it was, we would be able to boast in ourselves. But it's not. It's why he says, no man can boast. It is a gift of God. So what we're doing is we're actually, as we share the gospel with somebody that's in this works-based system, we're providing hope. Because deep down, they know they can't do it on their own. As hard as they may try. Often the conversation with a Mormon comes down to, what, what, are, we, what are we truly taking as God's word? Um. I may have shared this before, I don't know. Early in my ministry, I wasn't, hadn't been a youth pastor very long. And uh, me and some other youth pastors were sponsoring a, this was in Alabama, you, you could do some of these kind of things. We were sponsoring a Bible club that met on campus and they were letting us come and like teach, you know, it was before school started. And we had a bunch of students that were coming to this thing. It was in the, I think it was in the school library at that point, but there was a bunch of them that were coming and me and two or three other youth pastors were kind of rotating through teaching and being in charge of it. Well, a student asked one of the other uh, pastors one time, hey, could a pastor from my church come? And he said, yeah, he did. But he, he failed to ask a very important question. And that is, what church do you go to? Well, lo and behold, I'm there that morning. I ended up being the only youth pastor in the room. And here I am on public school property, right? And um, the the Mormon elder shows up to teach our Bible club at school. Oh Lord. And I'm like, I was probably 22, 23 years old at this point. I'm like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. And this guy starts talking and I'm trying to be cordial, right? And he's talking from the Bible and what he was saying was from the Bible. And I was like, well, as long as he keeps going with the Bible, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll grin and bear it and we're going to make it through this. And he, um, he said, uh, he said, now I want to share with you some, some truth from another word of God. Just getting to the end of this thing. And I thought, well, and probably, you know, at 41 and having been in ministry over 20 years now, like I probably know what kind of legal trouble I would, could have gotten myself in by doing this. But I just stopped him. Like I had no right to do that. <laughs> I did it anyway. Like I stopped this guy at this public school and I was like, Hey man, the, the kind of the churches that sponsor this Bible club, I'm a part of that. We're kind of a group. And um, I don't think we would want you to talk about the Book of Mormon. So could you, you know, not do that? And I was, I, now, like looking back on it, I'm really surprised the guy went, yeah, that's fine. And he, you know, had a couple other things to say and moved on. And I was like, I was like, wow, look, I, I was kind of proud of myself then. Now I look back and I'm like, <laughs> I'm glad I did it, you know? Um, but that was really interesting because that's really what it's gonna come down to, isn't it? Like, what's our source of authority? 
You know, do we agree with 2 Timothy 3, all scriptures breathed out by God and probable for preaching, for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness, that a man may be complete, equipped for every good work? Or do we believe that we need something else? Because if the scripture is enough to make us complete, equipped for every good work, then we don't need the Book of Mormon. We don't need the teachings of Joseph Smith. We don't need the teachings of Brigham Young. We don't need those things because we have the Bible. It's a place to go, right? Ultimately, you get to who will be saved? Well, only those who trust in Christ. Christ is our only hope. All right, I've got 15 minutes. I'm gonna transition to Jehovah's Witness. I talked about Southern Baptists at the beginning and here we go. I'm gonna run out of time. Jehovah's Witnesses are not Mormons. I, sometimes people will think those are the same groups of people. They're not. They're actually very different. Probably don't consider, and obviously because of the exclusive claim that they make with their version of the teachings of scripture and other things, they are eliminating the other group as they eliminate everyone else. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses also come out of the 1800s. A little bit later, a couple of decades later, the 1870s, by a man named Charles Russell, um, Jehovah's Witness, Jehovah's Witnesses identify themselves as Christians, same way that Mormons would. They would use that same term. We would say that they are not. They are smaller than Mormons, but they are also growing. There are over 6 million Jehovah's Witness around the world. Um, I probably don't have time to tell this story, but I'm gonna do it. Anyway, um, when the L family was living in West Africa, I was on a trip there. I forget who was with me. All these trips have run together. So if you were on that trip, you can, you can tell me you're on that trip. I have no idea who else from our church was on that trip with me. But we were there and it, it, was, it was fairly common that, that partners, other people like from the work would, would come into their house in the morning because we, we would often go out together to do pastor training. And because of the place where they lived, they had a guard that guarded their house and their guard would let, in, would let these people in, right? Now, the point of the guard was they wouldn't let people in, but he would always let these people in. And you could tell who these people were, right? Because they're carrying Bibles. And they're... Well, we're getting ready when we're like, we're eating breakfast. We're, you know, our translators are showing up. Like we're, we're all kind of getting ready to go out and do whatever it was we were going to do that day. And um, these two strange people like are standing in their house, which means they weren't just let into the courtyard. Like they were, because their house has a, had a steel gate and you had to be let in. It was a courtyard. Then you would come into the house through two other doors. I mean, it was security was an issue. All of a sudden, like these two people are like standing in the room and they're not our people. They're not our translators. They're not our partners. They don't work with any of our churches. The, the guard assumed they were because they were carrying Bibles. And they were Jehovah's Witness. One of them from the United States uh, with a, an African partner that were there in that, we're live online, so I just want to say it, in that, in that West African country um, going door to door talking about Jehovah's Witness. So this is not just a thing that happens in America. I got to meet one uh, in West Africa. I think that's kind of unique, right? So there's 6 million of these people around the world. Their name comes there from their belief that God's personal name is Jehovah. That's where the words Jehovah's Witness come from. Uh, the, the word for God's personal name being translated Jehovah uh, is an inaccurate translation of that personal name of God, we, you, we would know it as Yahweh, right? Um, but they, they believe that you can only call God Jehovah. That's the only thing that he'll answer to. And only people that call him that um, are, are properly Christians. They're often sometimes called the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. That's what they began as, mainly because one of their primary missions is to go door to door and handing out these, what's known as the Watchtower, uh, which is their publication. And so they've likely come to your door and given you this little magazine and it's called the Watchtower. Um, and it looks very Christian in the first few pages. That's very, very intentional. Sounds very Christian in the first few pages. Jehovah's Witness, even more than Mormons, but Mormons do this too, uh, prey on that group of people that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the people that seem kind of Christian-ish, right? The unsaved Christian, um, the people that would say, well, sure, I'm a Christian, but they don't actually believe anything about the Bible. Um, Jehovah's Witness prey on these people because th th that's their primary means of converts is, is people that really don't know their Bible very much, would claim to be a Christian, and these people are gonna come in and teach them about the Bible and they don't understand that what they're teaching them is, is inaccurate. 
Um, we'll go through some of these same beliefs. I'm going to go through them quickly. Some of these same first tier issues. Uh, as far as God, Jehovah's Witness believe there is one God, um, a spirit being with a body, but not a human body. So that makes them different than, than Mormons. We believe that God, the Father, is spirit. That's what the Bible says. Mormons believe that God, the Father, was a human on another planet, and so he has a body. Jehovah's Witness believe that God has a body, but it doesn't look like ours. I don't know what it looks like, but it's not, it's not ours. Um, they are not Trinitarian. They do not believe in the Trinity. Um, they believe that Jesus Christ is a God, but not the God of the Bible, and that the Holy Spirit is more of a force of God and not really a person. So they would describe kind of a lower level of divinity to Jesus, that he is a God. Again, we kind of get into a plural understanding of God, but he is not, he is not Jehovah. Um, he is, he is uh, a lesser than Jehovah. They believe that Jesus uh, again, not Jehovah God, but is the first son that Jehovah brought forth. So this is similar to uh, Mormonism. In, and you can see where, where they diverge here from Orthodox Christianity. Both groups do, is they take that idea of the only begotten son, right? You take a verse like John 3, 16, that, that God has this only begotten son, and, and they run with that idea instead of running to what the church has always believed, they reinterpret that to be that, that Jesus is somehow this first son of God um, and, and, and therefore is different than God and different than what the Bible teaches. So again, he is, he is a God, but is inferior. Their version of the Bible is, is uh, translated differently than ours. And so when Jehovah's Witness come to the door, right, the best thing to do is turn to John 1, 1. And so, okay, I'm going to read from my Bible. You read from your Bible. And then we'll discuss the differences, right? Because here's what the difference is going to be. Their Bible is, our Bible is going to say in John 1, 1, which I read a minute ago, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And their Bible is going to, to, to say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was a God, not was the God. So you, you take you know, the definite and indefinite article and you substitute them for themselves. It is the wrong interpretation of, uh, of the Greek, um, but you have to be able to do that if you're not going to make God into God. And so Jehovah's Witness have their own uh, translation of the Bible. Uh, it's called the New World Translation, by the way. Sometimes people come to me and they're like, I got a new Bible translation. What do you, what do you think? And I'll, I can look at it really quickly and I can tell you. Um, and there's, I, we don't have a prized Bible translation here. The reason our pew Bibles is the ESV is because that's what I preach from. And uh, we want people to be able to follow along, particularly if they're new. It is confusing to new people if the pew Bible doesn't match the Bible the guy's preaching out of, but we don't have like one Bible translation that we would say is the Bible translation. These people do, both Mormons and Jehovah's Witness, uh, and theirs is called the New World Translation. So if somebody ever gives you a New World Translation, you should be like, thank you, but I don't need that um, because it is a very inaccurate translation of the scripture. Um, again, John 1, 1 is just one of the places uh, where we see that. Uh, they actually substitute the name Jehovah uh, for places where that is not the word that is used. Um, they substitute that both in the Hebrew and in the Greek texts. Uh, as far as salvation goes, they believe that salvation is granted to those who had a combination of faith and good works. Uh, and, and that faith and good works is defined by the watchtower, that that, that organization defines what does it mean to have faith and good works, not not the scripture itself. Uh, they used to believe that there was only going to be 100. They used to believe that they were the 144,000 from the book of Revelation and that there were only going to be 144,000 actual saved people. Do you know what the problem is? There ended up being more than 144,000 Jehovah's Witness. And so um, because of that, because there ended up being more than 144,000 of them, they had to amend their previous, previous beliefs. They also had some very... Um, racist beliefs that were cooked into early Jehovah's Witness uh, that they have attempted to make some amends for uh, along the way. Um, for the afterlife, uh, they believe that no soul remains after death. So when you die, you die like the, your soul does not, does not go to heaven. But at some point in the future, Jesus Christ will return to resurrect the dead 
And at that point, your soul will kind of turn back on. There will be, there will then be a judgment day and those judged righteous will be given everlasting life on a paradise earth. And those judged unrighteous will not be tormented. There is no hell for Jehovah's witness, but will die and cease to exist. So if you're looking at these, you're like, man, Mormonism, you know, pretty much everybody goes to heaven. Um, in Jehovah's witness, nobody really goes to hell. You're just, you just, they believe in annihilationism. Um, just because they soften that, sometimes that's an appeal to people, right? But these are not things that the scripture teaches. So we also see some similarities. And just like with it was with Mormonism, these are good places to start, right? Belief in one true God, belief that Jesus existed, belief in a day that the Lord will come and, and judge. Jehovah's Witness are very concerned with judgment day. Well, I don't think we ought to be overly concerned with judgment day, but we certainly do believe that Jesus is going to return. We should pray for the return of Jesus. That's a good opportunity for us. And then just like with Mormons, they are dedicated to go and to share their belief. And we also should, I mean, it's why we're doing this, this equip study. We should also be dedicated to sharing our beliefs. So we have some commonality and some places that we could start. There are many, as, as we kind of walked through that, you probably saw some of the same things um, some of the same questions or same passages of scripture that we would want to go to with the Jehovah's Witness that we do with Mormons. And so I would just mention a couple of here. We want to show clear distinction between Jehovah's Witness and biblical teachings like um, the eternal nature of God, the Trinity, the Bible, some of the same things we would do with Mormons. Um, we would want to go some, to a place like First uh, John and say, well, see, Jesus isn't a God. He is the God. But by the way, that's not the only place that we could do that. You could go to a place like Titus chapter two, verse 13, uh, which says that we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and savior, Jesus Christ. So Jesus isn't just our savior. He's not just a God. He is, he is God. Jesus is our God. And ultimately, we would want to end up in the same place that we would want to end up with anybody that is appealing to their own works and say good works have nothing whatsoever to do with justification. Yes, good works are a part of our sanctification, that ongoing process of putting off sin and putting on Jesus where we become more and more like Christ in this life. But our works have nothing to do with our justification. The Bible's clear about this. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16 says, we, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know how much more clear the Bible could be, right? Let me read that again. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. I mean, it, it's really pretty clear. And it? like, there, there's, there are certain things you can do in certain places of the Bible, but that, that, you know, Ephesians passage, this Galatians passage, I think the Bible is abundantly clear that if what we are counting on, and we see this in other brands of Christianity as well, and again, I'm going to spend a whole, I think I'm going to do four later uh, all, all together because there's some similarities between them. But many of them always trace back to this one issue. The, the, the doctrinal issue with Mormonism and the Jehovah's Witness is what do you do with the person of God and Jesus? That really... And they, they diverge from Orthodox Christianity in, and, and start making Jesus something that he's not. They make God something that he's not. But even that ultimately leads to the question of, oh, Paul, what, what are you basing the, your justification for your forgiveness of sin? Because what Paul has said here is, work of the law, no, by works of the law, no one will be justified. There's no hope in anything that is telling us to earn it ourselves. And so my encouragement to you be, the next time one of these people knocks on your door or the next time you have a conversation with one, if, if you're exposed to them in our community at work, maybe even in your family, there, there could be those of you that have this in your family, that what we offer to them is not argument. They probably have enough. When you think about it, if you knocked on 50 doors a day, I don't know how many doors they knocked on. If you knocked on 50 doors a day, you're gonna get all kind of people arguing all kind of things with you. That's what you want to do. You want to lovingly say, Can, I'll listen to you if you'll listen to me. Let me show you what, what I believe the Bible says, what I think the Bible's really clear on. 
And ultimately, here's what you're offering to people. You're offering them hope that they don't have to go through life thinking every day, am I doing enough to make God happy with me? Am I doing enough to earn my place in the afterlife? Because there's great hope in saying, Jesus has done enough on the cross for me, secured by him, sealed and approved by God at his resurrection, that if I would just believe in that, I am fully and completely justified in the eyes of God. And yes, I do good works, but not to earn a place in heaven. I do good works because I am trying to be obedient to the one who gave himself up for me. And I want to be made into his image. There's so much more hope in the message of the true gospel of Jesus than in these twisted ideals uh, that these two groups have. So I would just encourage you, don't slam your door. Don't roll your eyes. Share hope with them. Be equipped to be able to share hope of the gospel with, with these people. Because we, we know that there is great hope in the message of Jesus if we'll believe what the Bible says to be the true message of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you have given us this hope that we don't have to earn it ourselves, that you provide fully for our salvation through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray for those, um, even in our own community, not far from this very place, who have given themselves over to the, these, these two uh, belief systems that, that lead to eternal separation from you. Would you help us, God, as we encounter them to love them, but to lovingly share the true message of Jesus Christ with them so that they too can find freedom, freedom in the good news that Christ died for their sins and has imparted righteousness to them so that they do not have to earn it themselves, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for uh, being here tonight. Thank you for enduring my opening little thing about what's going on in Southern Baptist life. Sometimes it's good for us to do that at Southern Baptist Church. Uh, I look forward to seeing you back next week. God bless you.